The Messianic era will be a time of rapid and total transformation for the whole world. Everyone will be changed. Everyone will be elevated. Everyone will become righteous. Everyone will be transformed. Evil will be banished. Sin just won't happen. Heresy will be non-existent. The world will look radically different. Pursuit of knowledge of God will be the order of the day. Pursuit of knowledge of God will cover the land the same way water covers the seabed. In our study of the Messiah and the Messianic era, we are currently focusing on the mechanisms. How exactly will will all this happen? How will people get so thoroughly influenced and transformed? How does this radical change occur? And last time we spoke about the concept of the elimination of evil. The evil inclination will be put to rest, will be eliminated, will be ameliorated in some fashion. Well, if there's no Yetzahara, if there's no evil inclination, people's innate righteousness will shine forth. Today I want to focus on another aspect of how people get influenced, and specifically the role of the individual, of King Messiah. He's going to be the spearhead, the tip of the spear of this global transformation. And today I want to focus on both who Messiah is, what are the qualifications, but really the credentials, the stature, the greatness of Messiah, and specifically, how will this influence others? How will Messiah's persona impact and change the world? The Rambam, of course, has been our guide to understand the subject of Messiah in general. And in the Laws of Repentance, Chapter 9, Law Number 2, he talks about Messiah. And again, he begins by reminding us that the overall, overarching objective of Messiah is to get Olam And in the times of Messiah, the path will be availed to us. We'll be able to study Torah properly, we'll be able to do mitzvos properly, and through those mitzvos we'll be able to earn Olam Abba, which is the overall objective. And how will that happen in the times of Messiah? The Ramam tells us. For in those days, the knowledge and the wisdom and the truth will be increased. Why? How will all this happen? How will there be such abundant knowledge of God? Because that king who will emerge from the seed of David, he will be more wise than Solomon. And a great prophet, almost as great as Moshe. And he will teach the whole nation. And he will guide us in the way of God. And all the other nations will also come to listen to him. But the ultimate objective of all of this, the Rambam reminds us, 
is to arrive at Olam Abba. Messiah, the days of Messiah, is in this world. The world's going to work like it always does. There's not going to be any changes to how the world functions, but it will enable us to receive Olam Abba. Now, the Rambam, in his description of Messiah and the King Messiah, he tells us that Messiah will be so impressive, he's going to be wiser than Solomon, the wisest of all men. And he's also going to be a prophet. Not quite like Moshe, one notch less. But this is very impressive nonetheless. And he's going to teach the whole nation and guide the whole people in the path of the Almighty, and that will also spill over to inspire the nations. Everyone's going to want to come here what he has to say. So this persona of Messiah, this individual, this King Messiah, will be so impactful that he's going to propel humanity towards God. And again, the, the qualities that we read about are just jaw-dropping. Prophecy has long been extinct. Yet in Messiah's time, he's going to be a prophet only below Moshe. What about uh, Samuel and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joshua? Messiah will be greater, greater than all of them as a prophet. Greater than all prophets besides from Moshe. And he'll be the wisest of men, even wiser than Solomon. But this is not where the superlatives of Messiah end. The Kabbalists tell us that the word Adam, Adam, stands for Adam, David, Messiah. There is a through line connecting these three. Moreover, we're told that they all share the same soul. The exalted and perfected soul of Adam will be present in Messiah. Adam, David, Messiah. Now, there is a second exclusive triumvirate that Messiah is part of. The verse tells us in Exodus chapter 4 that Moshe went down to Egypt from Midian. And he took his wife and his sons and they traveled upon a donkey. And Rashi tells us this is no ordinary donkey. This is the same donkey that Abraham traveled upon when he went to the binding of Isaac. And this is the same donkey that Melech HaMashiach, that King Messiah, will reveal himself to us upon. So we had one triumvirate, Adam, David, Messiah. And now we have a second one, Abraham, Moshe, Messiah. Abraham, on the way to the binding of Isaac. Moshe, on the way to save the Jewish people from Egypt. And Messiah, to reveal himself to the whole world and to change everything, they're all traveling. They're all riding upon a donkey. Now, of course, we're trained to not just read this simply. It's a very strange idea. Messiah arrives, 
he's going to take the same mode of transportation, the same grizzled donkey that Abraham took thousands of years prior, Moshe took to Egypt. It's a very strange concept. But the commentaries tell us that in, in Hebrew, the word for donkey, it's the same word as for physicality. And thus, there's there's a concept being conveyed here that, like Abraham traveling to the binding, like Moshe traveling to Egypt, there's a certain elevated and exalted status of riding the donkey, of overpowering the physicality that Messiah is going to manifest. The relationship, the ideal relationship between soul and body is that the soul is the rider and the body is the mode of transportation. The problem is, is that in our life, the good and the bad are commingled. The soul and the Yetzara and the spirituality and the physicality and the body and they're all mixed up together. The people that change the whole world are people that are able to marshal their soul and separate it from the body and the physicality and to dominate the physicality, to have complete mastery over it. When Abraham was going to the binding, he's embarking on the mission to found, to spiritually found the family, the dynasty that will eventually become the nation of God. In that state, he was in this very elevated state and he is described as riding a donkey. And when Moshe went to Egypt, he was embarking on his mission to save the nation from Egypt, to orchestrate all the miracles of the Exodus, to bring the nation to Sinai, to bestow upon the nation the Torah. And Moshe was riding on a donkey. He had total mastery over physicality. Messiah, in his mission to bring the whole world back to God, he too will be in that state. So the descriptions we're getting about Messiah is very, it's very superlative. The status and the stature and the distinction of Messiah. But Messiah is even greater than Moshe and Abraham. The Midrash tells us, based upon a verse in Isaiah, the verse says, My servant will succeed and will be exalted and will be elevated and will be exceedingly high. Says the Midrash, this is talking about Messiah. He'll be exalted, more exalted than Abraham. He'll be elevated. He'll be more elevated than Moshe. He'll be most high, most exceedingly lofty, more lofty than the ministering angels. Abraham and Moshe, on one dimension, they're, they're, they're the same as, as Messiah. They're all riding this donkey. But in a different dimension, Messiah will be even more exalted than Abraham, more elevated than Moshe, and even higher 
than the ministering angels. Abraham and Moshe were were hugely consequential. Abraham got this whole thing started. He was the one who stemmed the tide and began to reverse it. Humanity was in a decline spiritually since Adam. Abraham launched the movement of monotheism that eventually changed the whole world. Abraham was very consequential. Moshe, well, he extracted the Jews from slavery in Egypt, and he shepherded them faithfully in the wilderness for 40 years, and he ascended to heaven, and he withdrew the Torah from heaven on high. On some level, Messiah will be even greater than both of them, and even higher than the ministering angels. Now, what does this mean? So the Ramban explains that if you look at what Messiah will do, his accomplishments will outshine, will outweigh those of both Abraham and Moshe and even those of the angels. What did Abraham do? He was in Mesopotamia and he began this movement and he began to gather adherents, and this was against the will of the local ruler of Nimrod. But Abraham, in his land, the land of Nimrod, later on in the land of Canaan, Abraham succeeded in changing the attitudes of his countrymen, and he spawned a movement that gained thousands and even tens of thousands of adherents. Abraham did some some amazing things. He persuaded legions of followers to repudiate idolatry and to accept full faith in the Almighty. But Abraham played in a limited field. He was operating in his land. And his influence was limited to his environs. What Abraham did in a limited capacity, Messiah will do for the whole world. Messiah is more exalted than Abraham. And his accomplishments will outshine even Moshe's. Moshe, he operated in Egypt. And Pharaoh contested the existence of God, the dominion of God. And Moshe approached him fearlessly. And even though, says the Ramban, even though Moshe was a shepherd, and the shepherd's the lowest of occupations, Moshe was fearless. It wasn't scared of Pharaoh. And he was able to extract the nation from the iron crucible of Egypt. Think about it. The, the nation was scattered throughout the land of Egypt. And Moshe was able to gather them together and to reconstitute them as a nation and to take them out of their plight. Messiah will do even more. He won't have to deal with one monarch that's recalcitrant. Messiah will have to deal with every monarch, with every ruler. And he won't have to gather the Jews from one land. He'll have to gather them from all the lands. 
Messiah will do what Moshe did on a global scale. Moshe engaged with Pharaoh, overcame Pharaoh. Messiah will engage and overcome all the rulers, all the sovereigns. Moshe took the Jews who were scattered throughout the land of Egypt and made them into one single unitary nation. Messiah will do that for the whole world. Find every Jew in every corner and bring them back together and reconstitute the nation from amidst the whole world. Moshe was able to speak with Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt. Without fear, Messiah will engage with every monarch in the world and find every Jewish soul wherever they may be from the far-flung corners of the world and even from the International Space Station. No Jew will be left behind. Moshe unleashed plagues and punishment on Pharaoh. Pharaoh and the Egyptians had mistreated the Jews for hundreds of years. And Moshe, part of his mission, of course, all of this is done with the Almighty's help. But what Moshe did was to mete out punishment and retribution to the Egyptians for what they did. Messiah will have to do that. We'll have to extract the nation's vengeance against all who have wronged us in the whole world. Messiah, explains Ramban, is more elevated than Moshe. And even the ministering angels, what do the angels want? They want a perfected world. They want a world that acknowledges the dominion of God. They too are working towards redemption. But Messiah's impact will exceed even the impact of the angels. And then Ramban adds, Messiah will be exceptionally close to the Almighty. In his knowledge of God, Messiah will be unparalleled. Abraham was close to God. God called Abraham my beloved. Moshe was exceptionally close to God. The angels, so to speak, stand to God's right and left. But none of them will equate to the closeness and to the knowledge of God that Messiah will have. So we're getting a description of the resume, if you will, of Messiah, the stature of Messiah, a prophet almost like Moshe, wiser than Solomon, the soul of Adam and David and riding the donkey, the stature matched only by Abraham and Moshe, his knowledge of God and his impact in effectuating the redemption will exceed that of Abraham, Moshe, and even the angels. Messiah will be very impressive indeed the most impressive person ever. And he will be capable of unprecedented feats. The verse tells us in Isaiah chapter 11 that the Spirit of God will rest upon Messiah. He'll have the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of insight, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of God. And he, and he will be able to smell with the fear of God. 
and not with his eyes and his vision will he judge, and not with his hearing will he rebuke. Now what does this mean? So the Talmud, the book of Sanhedrin on page 93b tells us, what does it mean that he will be able to smell with the fear of God? Says the Talmud, when a case will come before him, most judges, they have to look at the evidence and have to hear the sides and listen to the debate, the back and forth. The role of the judge is to determine, to flesh out who's right, who's wrong, who's guilty, who's innocent. Guilt and innocence is done via the examination of the evidence. Got to look, got to hear, hear both sides. Messiah will be able to smell with the fear of God. He is going to be able to judge just by smelling, says the Talmud. The sniff test, as they say, it doesn't pass the sniff test. They're able to judge just via scent. And the Talmud tells us that this is actually how they disqualified Bar Kokhba, otherwise known as Bar Koziva. Bar Kokhba was a Jewish king who ruled for a couple of years, and he told the sages that he is Messiah. And they said, well, okay, Messiah is going to be able to smell and judge. Smell and judge. And they brought a court case to him. Just Smell. Don't ask any questions. Tell us who is in the right and who is in the wrong. And he wasn't able to do it. And they knew for sure he was a false messiah. And they executed him. We learn here another element of the stature of Messiah. He's going to be able to judge via smell. But the commentaries explain that this means that his sense of prophecy is going to permeate his his actual senses. And the Ben Yohiyada explains that Moshe, he had the ability to judge with vision alone. When Moshe needed to find out who was qualified to be a judge, this is in chapter 18 of Exodus, He was able to look and just scan with his eyes to see the people. And he was able to perceive prophecy like that. Prophecy, you typically think of it, you hear a vision, you hear a message, you hear something, and you're able to convey that. Moshe had prophecy in his eyes and his vision. Messiah will have that as well. But on top of that, he will also be able to smell via prophecy. And he won't need to see in order to judge. And, by the way, to smell via prophecy, that's even greater than to see via prophecy because you could smell at a great distance, but you can only see what's close in front of you. And smell is omnidirectional, whereas vision, you can't see what's happening behind you. This is the stature of Messiah. This is the individual that's going to lead 
this transformation, Messiah, will be at the vanguard of the shift of the complete reimagination of all of humanity. How will Messiah effectuate such radical change? This change that will reverberate throughout the whole world. How is this going to happen? One of the ways our sages tell us is just by Messiah himself. Witnessing such a person, seeing someone who ostensibly is made up of the same things that you're made up of. You got a body, you got a soul, you got a donkey, you got a rider. Seeing someone who's like you, to a certain extent, be so elevated, loftier than the angels, greater than Moshe, to a certain extent, greater than Abraham, like David, like Adam. That experience is going to completely alter what we think of when we think of a human. Messiah and Messiah's persona will reveal to the world the deep secret of what it means to be a human. You have one man with a towering otherworldly soul, someone who's perfected in all manners of perfection. He will demonstrate to humanity what is the true stature of a human. And if you could witness that, you could see that, all smallness, all pettiness, all those things that keep us kind of connected and enmeshed in the, so to speak, donkey that we all have within us, all that's going to melt away. Through this greatness of Messiah and this notion that this is a member of our species, every person will recognize their own stature, and their own latent greatness. There's an amazing idea here. Why are things not perfect? Why are humans susceptible to evil? Why aren't we just righteous and holy and lofty and elevated? Why don't we just have this, you know, supernal greatness all the time? What's what's wrong with us? At the core of why we're not riding the proverbial donkey, it's because we have a flawed understanding of what exactly we are. The truth is, every human bears a soul that's more elevated than angels. Our soul is loftier than those supernal beings in heaven and high. The verse tells us in Psalms chapter 8, It's talking about Moshe, but theoretically this is true about all humanity. Moshe, you were just one notch, one little bit below God in your distinction and stature. Really, the human, in their truest state, is way loftier than the angels. 
in our current makeup, we can actually descend to very, very deep lows. Because we have free will, we have this mixture of good, of good and bad, and we have this terrible force within us. We can actually become even lowlier than animals on a spiritual scale. But if we just kind of got outside of ourselves and saw really what we are, what we're supposed to be, if we recognized that essentially man is loftier than the angels, all sin, all pettiness would be below us. Corruption and and uh, bad character and envy and anger and heresy, all that would be risible. In that state, we're elevated, we're dignified, we're enlightened in ways that we can't even fathom. And anyone that is going to have the great privilege of just witnessing a person, of witnessing and observing King Messiah, and seeing someone that's just way above the angels, greater than Moshe, greater than Abraham, that experience will forever change how you view yourself. Your self-perception will be completely shattered and rebuilt. And you'll realize just how incredibly elevated and lofty you truly are. Now, to give this idea some context, the Rambam reminded us again and again, don't think that when Messiah comes, we'll ask him to do miracles or signs or to invent new things in the world, to revive the dead. No, we, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't have to inspect in Messiah something supernatural. That's what the Rambam says. Now, in the margins of standard versions of Rambam, you have the objections of the Rivet, which is one of the contemporaries of Rambam. And he has a problem with this statement. Wait a minute. We don't ask Messiah for miracles, for signs, for inventing things that had previously not existed? Doesn't the Talmud say that there was a false Messiah named Ben Koziva or Bar Kokhba? And he said he was Messiah. And they inspected him and said, well, can you smell? Can you sniff and judge? And once he was not able to do that, they executed him. How can Rambam say that we don't ask Messiah for a miracle? We clearly do. My grandfather, of blessed memory, answered this question as follows. The Rambam knew that Talmud. He knew the Talmud very well in Sanhedrin 93b. The Messiah will to smell and judge. And Bar Korziva or Bar Kokhba was not able to do that. And that's why he was executed. What the Rambam is telling us is that we're not asking for miracles. We don't want a suspension of the world as it truly is. But the world as it truly is, is such that a human is capable of smelling and judging. This role of Messiah, 
this manifestation of Messiah. That is the natural state of humanity. It's not a miracle. It's not something supernatural. And that's precisely why it's so impactful. If you see someone doing miracles, well, that's what does that have to do with you? It's not me. That's some miracle worker, some sort of guru. That is a different type of human than me. What the Rambam is telling us is that, yes, he will do those things that are miracles, but we will realize, we'll recognize that they're not miracles. And that experience will forever change how we view ourselves. We'll come to the realization that we are loftier than angels because the state of humanity in its full manifestation is such that spirituality and spiritual power, it's so overwhelming that it just takes over everything. And part of it is that the senses become now the handiwork or the implements of the soul. And we have an example for this. When Jacob comes to usurp the blessings from Esav, Isaac is blind and he has to feel to see who is this. And he says a line, I see that the scent of my son is like the scent it's like the smell, it's like the scent of the field that God blessed. Isaac shows us a little picture of what Messiah is like. Is he able to smell the smell of heaven with Jacob? Messiah is going to take that to the next level. Messiah just won't just be able to perceive holiness via smell. He's going to be able to judge via smell. And this is the manifestation of the human in its greatest form, like Adam, like Abraham, like Moshe, like David, like the angels, but even greater than all of them. When Adam was created, the Midrash tells us that the angels mistook him for God and they sought to worship him. The ministering angels, they could not distinguish between Adam and God. Both Adam and God were so much more elevated than them, they couldn't differentiate between the two. You made mankind Mankind, of course, is a creation, but it's a creation that is almost as lofty as God. Man, in man's true sense, and of course when we say man, we mean mankind. Mankind, we're greater than angels by orders of magnitude. We just don't know it. We just forgot about it. Over the course of time and history and corruption and transformation and change and intermingling of good and bad, that notion was lost. 
And we forgot who we, who we are and what we're capable of. And we allowed ourselves to buy into the fiction of the eight survivors. That we're small, we're petty. Over the course of mankind's history, we were spiritually reduced. Messiah will restore the notion of the greatness, of the exaltedness of humanity. This idea that we're just intelligent and crafty apes, that misperception will be shattered. And through Messiah, we will get to know our true selves and our true greatness. And we will discover that who we are is unfathomably greater than what we had previously imagined. Witnessing Messiah will change the way we see ourselves. And all that smallness and all that pettiness, we're going to leave it behind. And we're going to ascend above evil and sin. And in that state, man innately is aware of God and submitted to him. People wonder, who's going to appoint Messiah? How will the coronation of Messiah happen? What jurisdiction, what authority will Messiah have? It's very hard for us to imagine a transition. Well, we have democracy or representative uh, democracy, a republic. And suddenly there's this king, Messiah, coming up. And how's that going to happen? Messiah's greatness will be evident to all, but will come from within. When people will encounter Messiah, they're just going to melt in his presence. And without being appointed, and without any official standing, he will change everything and everyone. The Ramban noted, when he talked about how Messiah is more elevated, more lofty than, than Abraham, than Moshe, than the angels. The Ramban noted that Moshe was a shepherd, and the shepherd is the lowest of the professions, of the occupations, and he wasn't scared of Pharaoh. Who appointed Moshe? Who appointed Abraham, for that matter? Who gave these people the authority to change the whole world? It came from God. And it came from from them developing their soul and exposing the soul to what it truly is. That is how Messiah will operate as well. This revelation of this soul, that on its own will change everything. My grandfather, Blessed Memory, pointed out that really this is a pattern throughout our history. You know, the, the Rambam, he was a physician. The Ramban as well. Physicians. Who gave him the authority to codify all of Jewish law and to give us the 13 principles of faith and to organize our religion in, in a canonized fashion? The Arizal did not have any official position. The Gona Vilna, the Baal Shem Tov, the Chafetz Chaim, the Chazanish, the great giants throughout our history. They weren't appointed. That is what it means to be a great human. 
without the trappings of officialdom, without elected office, Messiah too will just ascend and rise above all. And if this was true throughout the generations, it will certainly be true for Messiah. He's not going to have an appointment, some sort of official post granting him you know, credentialed legitimacy, the will of God. And Messiah's extremely lofty soul and stature will elevate him to the greatest of heights. So we've got a deeper picture of who Messiah is. This is a towering figure, an angel-like figure. In some respects, greater than Adam, greater than David, greater than Abraham, Moshe, the angels. A prophet. A prophet whose prophecy permeates them completely. Vision, a prophecy. Even smell, a prophecy. This is the persona of Messiah. And the revelation of this soul, and it's not a miracle. Everyone knows it's not a miracle. This revelation will make waves the world over. This will elevate us. This will transform us. This will allow us to leave our pettiness and smallness behind. We have a picture, maybe a, a bit more of a picture, of who Messiah is and the role the Messiah will play in changing the whole world. We will still talk more, please God, about other elements of Messiah the individual. But right now, in our pursuit of understanding the mechanisms of Messiah, how does such dramatic and radical change happen? We have another idea to add to our knowledge base. We talked about the elimination of evil done by God, apparently. God will come and slaughter the Yitzhah around in front of the righteous and the wicked. There's this change in, in, in how the world operates. The Yitzhah is suddenly not present. Now we know there's something else that happens. We meet a person that is greater than angels. And it's not a miracle! That changes us in a very complete and powerful way. We're not done yet in understanding Messiah, the individual, and of course how we vet the Messiah and how the Messiah arrives and other aspects about how Messiah will change the whole world. We're also not finished in our examination of how Messiah changes or the Messianic era changes humanity. Next, please God, will we, next, please God, we will examine another element of the messianic transformations, namely the miracles of the messianic era. Please God, we'll talk about the wars of Messiah, Gog and Magog, whatever that means, and the parallels between the messianic redemption and the other redemptions, most notably the redemption from Egypt and the template, so to speak, of redemption that we discover from the Exodus. And slowly we will inch our way towards a greater understanding of this principle, principle number 12, the principle of Messiah and the Messianic era.
I hope to get your questions and your comments and your feedback. And of course, you could always email me, Rabbi Wolby, R-A-B-B-I-W-O-L-B-E at gmail.com. Or you can even visit us here at the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. Or visit our website, torchweb.org. Get in touch and let me know what you think.